Cooper's quiet please and you know that when I start saying that what's coming um it's me Matt I'm here with David David what's going on everybody this week uh we are going to leave uh quiet please after discussing the all-time great uh uh the canonical uh, the famous episode you know we decided we need a little bit of a break so uh we're going to an episode I chose um one of my all-time favorite episodes um Dimension X's universe uh, from November of 1950. Um, this is performed twice uh, in the Dimension X to X minus one thing. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the one we're going to be listening to today is uh, from Dimension X, November 26th, 1950. Uh, universe based off of a short story by Robert Heinlein. So as usual, uh, listen to the episode and we'll uh, have a discussion afterwards. And uh, until then, Adventures in Time and Space, transcribed in future tense. In the beginning, there was Jordan, thinking his lonely thoughts. Out of the loneliness came a longing. Out of the longing came a vision. Out of the dream came a planning. And out of the planning came decision. Jordan's hand was lifted, and the ship was born. You, look out! Hey, you all right? Yes, it missed me. What was it? A mutant with a slingshot. I think it dashed down that passageway. You want to go after it? We'd never catch it, Alan. It's probably 12 decks above us by now. I didn't think they ever came down this far. Trolls usually get them before they reach this level. Uh, they get more daring with each generation. This one looked like a female. Male or female, it might have killed us. I told you this trip was pure foolishness. Climbing 24 deck levels to hear a crazy old man rave. We're almost there now. Compartment X-15, level 24. This is the place. This area smells as if it hadn't been visited by a sanitation crew for generations. Boy, the ship is almost deserted. This is the compartment of John the Witness. Who are you? My name is Hugh Hoyland. I'm a cadet from the scientist barracks. This is my friend, Alan Mahoney. What do you want of John the Witness? Only to talk. Are you a believer in Jordan? Naturally. I have heard that there are those among the younger scientists who doubt the word of Jordan. To doubt is death. We're not heretics. Enter. I have brought a gift of tobacco, grown on the richest level. It smells good. I assure you it's the best. Wait here. What a rat's nest. What the devil do you think he can tell you? I don't know. Now, hush. 
Well, you are John the Witness? I am. Good evening to you. I am Hugh Hoyland. This is my friend, Alan Mahoney. What brings a gentleman of the scientist class to my humble apartment? I have heard that you and your parents before you have long been keepers of the legend of the ship. Since Jordan gave the word. I am anxious to hear the word as Jordan spoke it. Why? You see, among the young scientists, there have been some who talk against the word. The regulations against such heresy? Some of them say the ship has no purpose. They say... They say that we're here accidentally. That that we have no more grace in Jordan's eyes than the most deformed mutant who dwells in the highest level of the ship. What shall I say to you? I wish to hear the word from the mouth of one who knows. That I may become more convinced. Sir... You have gift for the witness? The finest tobacco. Good. I will dim the light. Now, pay close attention, for these are the words as my father's father's father gave them to his son's son's son. This is how the ship came into being. How our people were created. In the beginning... There was only Jordan, thinking his lonely thoughts. In the beginning, there was darkness, formless and dead. Out of the loneliness came a longing. Out of the longing came a vision. Out of the dream came a planning. And out of the planning came decision. Jordan's hand was lifted, and the ship was born. Mile after mile of good compartments, tank after tank for golden corn, ladder and passage, door and locker, fit for the needs of the yet unborn. He looked on his work and found it pleasing, meet for a race that was yet to be. He thought of man, and man came into being. Then Jordan checked his thought and searched for a key. Man untamed would shame his maker. Man unruled would spoil the plan. So Jordan made the regulations. Some to speak and some to listen. Order came to the ranks of men. Crew he created to work at their stations. Scientists to guide the plan. Over them all he created captain made him judge of the race of man. Thus it was in the golden age. These are the true words as my father's father taught them. But what of the strange beast-like people on the upper levels of the ship? Surely Jordan did not create them. Jordan is perfect. All below him lack perfection. You have heard of the legend of Huff? I have heard that he mutinied against Jordan. Darkness swallowed the ways of virtue. Sin prevailed upon the ship. And before wisdom prevailed and the bodies of Huff and his followers were fed into the converter, some of the rebels escaped and lived to father the mutants. They are tainted with the sins of their fathers. One more question, witness. Speak. What is the ship? The ship is a great sphere. 
25 kilometers wide and 100 levels deep. I know that, but what about the upper levels? The regulations forbid us to venture into the upper levels, but it is said that beyond the levels of the mutants lies the forbidden place where Jordan's spirit prevails. Uh, so I've heard. But something troubles me. Something which prompted my coming here. Yes, my son. What lies beyond the ship? What? What lies beyond the ship? This is heresy. Answer me. I will not permit such talk. The ship is complete. The ship is universal. The ship is everywhere. The ship is everywhere. Ah, your mutterings are those of a frightened old man. They answer nothing. You question the world? I think you lie. Hear me, Mr. Highland. For what you have already said, I can have your body fed to the converter. Your soul launched on the endless trip. You threaten me. You, for Jordan's sake. You think I fear this dried fig of a man? You, sir, my friend is impetuous. He doesn't understand. I might be persuaded to forget a substantial gift. You pig. You. Come on, Alan. The sight of this so-called holy man offends me. Now you shall not leave. Uh, don't try to frighten me with a gun, old man. Remain where you are, heretic. I warn you, put down the gun. Now, no closer. Drop it. Very well, then. Dip. Is he dead? I don't know. Come on, Hugh. We've got to get out of here. Now, we can't go back. They'd feed us into the converter. What's that? The old woman must have turned in an alarm. Come on, the patrol will be here in no time. Where can we go? The upper levels. But the mutant. We'll have to take our chance. stupid pat answers. Well, I just saw red, I guess. But who are you to question the ways of Jordan? When you asked me to go with you to visit the witness, I thought you wanted spiritual help. I never dreamed I'm sorry, it. Alan. I couldn't foresee this. I didn't know it. Wait. Wait a minute. Now what? Another shipwright? No. I thought I saw something move near that bulkhead. I didn't see anything. Maybe my eyes are going bad still. <laughs> Who are you? Must 
Forgive my friend Bobo. Like so many of my people, he's rather impetuous where members of the so-called super race are concerned. Who are you? What place is this? As you can guess from my leg, I'm a mutant. Where is Alan? Your friend is dead. I oh. was not able to restrain my people in time to save him. Why don't you destroy me and get it over with? We do not kill for pleasure, Mr. Hoyland. Only when necessary. You know my name? I read your identification tag. Who are you? Mutants can't read. My name is Gregory. I'm a leader of my people. Although we are unfortunate in our heredity, Mr. Hoyland, many of us are quite intelligent. Why do you live like animals? You would rather live like free animals than like regimented slaves, as you do. I've heard that you practice cannibalism. Undoubtedly, you hear many things about us. We raise our own cattle on the upper levels, and those of our people who choose to farm raise enough crops for our small population. You turn your head. Why? This one. I've never seen a creature like him. Bobo is an unfortunate. He was born without the power of speech. How can you tolerate a monstrosity? We have learned to live with difference. If we began to destroy our imperfects as you do on the lower levels, there would soon be no one left. It violates the regulations. The word of Jordan's You know, Mr. Hoyland, your people are really primitive and barbaric. You dare say that to me? I dare say a good deal more. Let us go to my compartment and speak further. I'm always interested in information of the lower levels. I won't give you any information. Oh, Bob, I want Mr. Hoyland in my cabin, please. Hey. Hey. I advise you to go quietly, Mr. Hoyland. Bobo has a hatred of superior beings, which is unfortunate, but quite understandable. Proceed. Enter, Mr. Hoyland. This is where you live? Yes. But you have books. Stolen from your libraries, Mr. Hoyland. Compton's Astrophysics. The Philosophy of Interstellar Navigation. Celestial Mechanics. You have read these? Um, most of them. Why did you bring me here? What do you intend to do? Do you believe in Jordan, Mr. Hoyland? There is no other belief. And the trip? I suppose you believe in the trip. Well, what else is there to believe? When you die, your remains are fed to the converter, and your soul makes the trip. And where does the trip take you? Why, to Centaurus, of course. Huh? And where, what is Centaurus? Why, Centaurus, mind you, I'm just telling you the orthodox answer. Centaurus is where you arrive when you've made the trip. A place where everything is happy, and everybody's happy, and there's always good eating. It's mythological, of course. And you believe this? The peasants believe it, literally, but many of the younger scientists like myself know that it's figurative, symbolic. Why do you ask? Didn't it ever occur to you, Mr. Holland, that the trip is exactly what your peasants believe it is? That the ship and all the crew were actually going someplace? Moving? The ship can't go anywhere. It already is everywhere. Imagine a place bigger than the ship, much bigger, with the ship inside it. 
moving inside. But there can't be any place bigger than the ship. There wouldn't be any place for it to be. Oh, for God's sake. Listen. You know the lowest level? Yes. If you started digging a hole in the lowest level, where would that hole go? Where would that hole... No. It's forbidden to think such a thought. Where would it go? No. No, I can't think about it. Bobo. Bobo, we're going to take Mr. Horland to the place. Where are we going? To the top level. But it's certain death. Nonsense. I've been there a thousand times. Come along. No, I won't. You can't make me. I think we can. Now, shall we proceed peacefully, or shall I have Bobo persuade you? Open the door, Bobo. Inside. place is this? This, Mr. Hoyland, is the main control room. Why, Mr. Hoyland, you're trembling. It isn't true. There is no such place except in mythology. Oh, you younger men are so wise, Mr. Hoyland, except for one thing. This happens to be the main control room of the ship. But it, it, it's nothing but a huge room with an instrument panel. What did you expect? How do you know this is the main control room? See these instruments? Using them, the navigator, many hundreds of years ago, actually steered the ship on its voyage. I don't understand. I didn't suppose you would. Your people have been so steeped in superstition and ignorance that the whole concept has lost its meaning. Sit in that chair. Don't be frightened. Sit down. Very well. Look up. What do you see? Nothing but a huge shield. Watch it for one moment, Mr. Hoyland. You are going to see something that few of us have ever been privileged to witness. Something so dazzling that you may find it hard to accept at first. But it is there. It is a reality. And ultimately you must accept it. What are you doing? I'm dimming the lights. Don't be frightened. Keep your eyes focused on the shield above us. Ready? Watch. The shield! It's sliding back! The universe, Mr. Harlan. The universe in all its beauty. The stars, the planets, the suns, the moons, and the constellations. This is your heritage, Mr. Harlan. The heritage you've been too stupid to see. But it can't be. The ship is the universe. There is nothing but the ship. Ah, but there it is. You see it before your eyes, spread out like a canopy of glory. You still deny it? Answer me, Mr. Hoyland. Do you deny it? No. No, I can't. They lied. They lied. Why did you close the shield? You will see it again if you're not afraid. I'm not afraid. Many times. 
I have shown this to others of your people whom we captured, and though they saw it before their very eyes, they would not believe it. Tell me about it. Tell me about the ship, about the universe. What are these things? How did this come about? Many thousands of years ago, on a planet like those you've just seen, a planet called Earth, a scientist named Jordan decided to build a ship that would carry men from one planet to another. For many years, Jordan and thousands of others studied and planned. And when they were finished, they built the ship. A ship so large that it had to be assembled in its own orbit beyond a place called the moon. Sixty years it took them to construct. And when it was finished, a whole new science had been conceived. Then the trip was begun. The trip that was to land a colony of Earthmen on a far-off planet called Centaurus. Millions of light years beyond the furthest planet ever reached before. How do you know these things? Among my books are the log which Jordan himself kept. And the records of the journey for the first 40 years. What happened? There was a mutiny. A man named Huff led a rebellion of those who wanted to turn back. In the struggle, the navigators were killed. And the crew fell into a state of anarchy. In the years to follow, small groups of men tried to organize the ship for navigation, and each time they failed. Finally, the whole idea was abandoned. And so for centuries, we have swung in space, unmanned, undirected, living in a lost world of our own making, without purpose, without direction. Why have you told me this? Why have you brought me here? You could have killed me. Can you guess? No. No, I can't. Unless... But it would be too fantastic. Well, you want to finish the trip. Yes, that's it. What would it take to do it? A miracle, almost. The crew would have to be trained. Many people, each skilled in a certain duty. Couldn't you train your own people? We are too few. Besides, the main drivers in the lower levels where my people are forbidden to go. No. It would mean that both our peoples would have to work together. Our differences encouraged rather than denied. It can be done. You showed me. You can show others. I can show them. Can you? I'll see the captain himself. I have an uncle on the central board. I'll tell him what I've seen here. And do you think he'll believe you? Send one of your people with me. That's asking a good deal. I'm risking a good deal by going back. Very well. Bobo will go with you. He can't talk. There will be no need for talk. I will write a message guaranteeing safe conduct for a group of unarmed scientists to visit the main control room. Bobo will take you safely through our territory. What happens when you reach your own level is up to you. One moment. Yes, what do you... You... Quick, Uncle, let us in. But this mutiny... He's harmless, please. Now, what is this? You're wanted I know for... all about that. Listen, Uncle, I must see the captain. The captain? Are you mad? You're a council member. You can get me to see him. They'll kill you. You're wanted for heresy. I don't care. I must speak with the captain. You're close to him. You can arrange it. I don't understand why... Uncle, I... listen to me. The ship is moving. I can prove it. Do you understand there is a purpose in the ship? I don't understand what you're babbling Never about. Never mind. Just talk to the captain. Tell him I have information of tremendous importance. 
Tell him I've arranged a truce with the mutants. A truce? Here, show him this paper signed by their leader. Do it, Uncle, for my sake. I don't know. Please, I... Uncle. If I'm to die, let this be my last request to you. Very well. I'll speak to the captain. I'll try. And you see, Mr. Ireland, that you saw this with your own eyes. I swear it, Captain. I swear it on the word of Jordan. Let me see that paper again. Hmm. What do you think, Commander Erst? I don't know, sir. It might be a trick. I guarantee you safe conduct. If these things are as Mr. Hoyland reports them, it would pay to risk a few lives. The man is a convicted heretic. Still, we mustn't discount his word entirely. He has a safe conduct. The mutant risked its life coming with him. I think we might investigate. You will do it. I'll have an expedition outfitted. Dismiss, Mr. Hoyland. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Captain, do you... Commander Erst. Sir. You'll make the necessary arrangements for an expedition. I trust you understand. Perfectly, sir. Perfectly. Lieutenant. Mr. Hoyland. You'd better watch your men here. This is the spot. Patrol, hold. I see no welcoming party of mutants. There will be none. Their leader will meet you inside the main control room. You don't say. And just where is this main control room? Beyond that door. I see. All right, men. Ready arms. Why do you ready arms? In case of ambush. Ambush? Don't you think they could have ambushed you on the way up here a good deal more easily? You know, Mr. Orlin, I think you're a mutie lover. They have a place in the converter for that kind. Lieutenant, are you mad? No, Mr. Orlin. But most certainly you are think that we could be lured up here to be slaughtered with a fantastic story about some mythical control room. That's ready, sir. Lieutenant, I warn you, these people have acted in good faith. If you break oh, all the I'm no. to open the control room, Mr. Harlan. No, not until those guns are dismounted. As leader of this expedition, I order you to call them. I refuse. You cannot do this thing. This is no way to keep a truce. Very well, if you refuse. Oh, there. Mutant. Come out. For Jordan's sake, Lieutenant. So quiet for comfort. Mutant. Open the door. Please, Jordan, don't let anything happen. Please don't. It's opening. Ready, man. Someone's coming out. Look at his leg. Horrible. Steady. He's walking toward us. Yeah, I can't stand this. Look out. Gregory. No. You fools. You've killed him. Here come the rest of them. Fire. should teach them a lesson they won't forget. All right, men. Inside the room. Orlin, you're under arrest as a conspirator in this ambush. Ambush? You fool. You blind, stupid fool. That'll be enough. Have you been inside this place before? Yes. What's all this machinery? These are the controls he would have used to steer the ship. He's gone out of his mind, Lieutenant. Steer the ship? Who? The leader. The one you killed. This ugly mutant? This ugly mutant happened to be a man of true greatness. You're mad. Am I? 
This man had a vision which could have saved you, but you chose to kill him because you couldn't stand the sight of his difference from you. I'll not listen to these ravings. Close your ears. Shut your minds against the conscience that tells you it's wrong to kill. That tells you that your need to be arrogant only proves your inadequacy to yourself. Shut him up. Don't listen to him, man. You can't shut your ears. My words sting you. You cannot shut your minds. And you cannot shut your eyes. Don't do this. The roof. It's moving back. Look, let the vision of this confound your ignorance and blind your eyes. This is the heritage you tried to stifle in your own breasts. This is the heritage of stars and open skies for which men have yearned for centuries. Try to destroy this, and you will only destroy yourselves. Death. To the heretic. Kill me if you choose. But I say to you that this you cannot keep from our people. That they will seek it out and the ship will be manned and the ship will be steered and there will be freedom and purpose and respect for ourselves. This is your heritage. Look upon the universe. You have just heard another adventure into the unknown world of the future. The world of... This has been the concluding broadcast in the current series of Dimension X. If you're interested in the continuation of this series, please write and tell us so. Your ideas and suggestions will be given the most thoughtful consideration in determining the future of this program. Just drop a letter or postcard to Dimension X, care of NBC, Radio City, New York. Today, Dimension X is transcribed... Universe, written for radio by George Lefferts and based on a story by Robert Heinlein. Featured in the cast were Mason Adams as Hugh and Peter Capel as Gregory. Your host was Norman Rose. Music by Burt Berman. Engineer Bill Chambers. Sound created by Manny Siegel, Max Russell, and Wes Conant. Dimension X is produced by William Welch and directed by Edward King. Ed Archie Gardner tangles with Tallulah Bankhead on The Big Show. And that was Universe from Dimension X in 1950, November of 1950. Um, this was my pick, so I can have a ton of thoughts. But uh, David, uh, was this your first time listening to it, first time hearing this one? No, it had been a while. It, um, if I'm being honest, a lot of the X minus one Dimension X stuff kind of blurs together for me. I don't necessarily remember the titles a lot of the time. But uh, once it got going and I and I was reminded about the, uh, you know, the story of Jordan, it, it all sort of came came crashing back right. into my awareness. Uh, it's, you know, I think we talked about this before when we talked about kind of 50s sci-fi on radio, which is that, you know, a lot of times it is kind of goofy and corny, but when it hits, it just, it really hits. And this is, this is, it's amazing. This, this was, uh, you know, on, on broadcast on the airwaves in 1950, because this is, you know, we keep coming back to this. Uh, the, the, I, we sort of have to just acknowledge that in a certain sense, there's nothing new under the sun because we keep coming back to the allegory of the cave. Just told in slightly different, you know, 
slightly different ways. Right. Um, but yeah, to answer your question directly, this is not my my first go around with Dimension X or with this episode in particular, but something I, I hadn't noticed before, which is uh, acknowledged, I think at the end of this, which is, I guess this is the final episode of Dimension X. Is that correct? Oh, is it? Or, I should have. Unless I misunderstood the announcer, I thought he said something to the effect of this is like the final um you know, episode of this version, but he he sort of hints that you know, there's like that rebranding that's coming. So it's it's possible I misunderstood the 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 announcer, but um, because I, I sort of thought Dimension X went until like 52 or 53 before X minus one became you know the the the, the new iteration of this of this uh you know program. But, right. I just looked it up. Um, Nightfall by Asimov was the final one. Okay. okay. Um, and it was the next summer. Um, but this is getting towards the end. Weirdly, this is like, yeah, like this is the 31st episode of, of maybe, Dimension X. Did he maybe mean like the, of the first season? Maybe that's, maybe that was it. Yeah. Wise. But, um, regardless, I mean, this is, um, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. This has always yeah, been, you have to point out, I hope I'm not stepping on your toes by, by pointing this out, but this story that is, um, you know, all about sort of false consciousness and, uh, yeah. You know, just or the, the the worst aspects of religion being used to kind of suppress people's uh, inquisitive nature and all that. It's, this is brought to us by maybe the man most associated with right wing libertarian science, right? Yeah, which, which is which is you know we we can get into this later if there's other other things you want to bring up first. But um, it it just reminds me of something that is even still kind of an issue today, which is that you know re- rejecting religion doesn't make you a good person necessarily. You know, lots of people can can um can wear that you know badge of atheism you know proudly uh, and still kind of drift toward politics that are reprehensible and you know i i think of i think of Heinlein as being the guy who brought us starship troopers which is a very like pro-military rah-rah you know um, science fiction novel that you know I, th- I think i think we've commented before was was uh famously or perhaps infamously adapted in the 90s as a, as a blockbuster uh, paul verhoeven film adaptation which which totally upended all the uh, the right wing aspects and made it a, a satire and made it like an ironic you know uh, sort of pastiche of, of uh, you know like world war ii propaganda movies and sort of imagine like what if what if the bad guys had won this is the kind of art they would make right you know? so yeah and verhoven very much being someone who you know grew up in the sort of later days of nazi germany and is like he knows yeah. it when he sees it and someone's like aha that's it. That's fascism right there. I've seen this before. Yeah, I know what yeah, this I mean, is. <laughs> you know, his country was occupied by the Nazis I mean, during the war. And, um, you know, you, have, you also have to give credit to the screenwriter, Ed Neumeyer, who also wrote um, Robocop, with, uh, right. which was also directed by Paul Verhoeven. Uh, two sort of great, you know, left wing um, science fiction films sort of sort of masquerading as right wing science fiction films. So it's uh, brilliant on, on right. sort of levels but um we could do a whole podcast about my our, our love and appreciation for those two movies um but i just bringing it back around to this it's it's amazing like i i i actually need to do some more research um about you know the sort of trajectory of, of uh heinlein's political development because it's I, I wonder maybe he started off not quite so right wing but i don't know i don't know where this story falls in like his uh his sort of cr- chronology of, of written output I mean, a way I always think about it is it's just really evidence of how much our very specific contemporary um, moment of political polarization and the way in which sort of signals of certain kinds of 
21st century political ideological movements get grafted onto certain aesthetics or certain kinds of tropes based on what specifically has happened to the American empire, blah, blah, blah. blah. Um, when you go back into, it's, it's not like this stuff wasn't operative on the right in the fifties or something like that. But uh, yeah, I think this episode is just a clear example of the way that like all of that was, was so different than now. And like these certain ideas were really crossing and sort of cross pollinating, um, I was lucky enough to get lunch. I think I've said this on the podcast a while back. I got lunch with Samuel Delaney here at Brown a couple of years ago. Um, and I was sort of just asking him about this time, you know, and it was like Heinlein became a like, you know, far right, you know, libertarian on the way to being a fascist. What You know, you're this kind of, you know, but 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 then like like Delaney's like, you know, I'm a leftist. But at the time, I was also this kind of libertarian, you know, the, the way that science fiction libertarian and stuff in America really graphs onto this particular critique of institutions in a way that like it does not make sense now in the right it quite the same way. Right. Like the the, the anxiety of institutions on the right now in sort of this turn that's happening on the right, like leaving uh the pure libertarianism and going into the sort of populist stuff is like only a critique of left-wing institutions right but here you have this very clear like everyone just went through world war ii uh totalitarianism of fascism um say what you will you know us as leftists say what you will about the ussr but like it's bad it's bad in the 50s and 60s you know stalin is still alive this anxiety of a totalitarian kind of you know other speak kind of thing i think really it's difficult to map that onto contemporary politics i guess is what i'm saying and i think that's what's so fascinating about this episode is is you know the way that i've always sort of listened to it and read it and i haven't i haven't read the heinlein actual book it's from i guess it was first published as a sort of short story called universe and then he yeah, turned yeah. it into half of a novel or something like this but i always just read it as like I mean, it, it it's 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 the cave, it's false consciousness, but it's also just a, a perfect reading of the way that like uh, religious paranoia crystallizes after a certain kind of crisis and a reactionary kind of power to control people, right? And that's I think the thing I really like about this is when they're when he goes to meet the prophet or whatever, they're talking about uh, uh, sort of what happened, or and then when he, when he meets the mutants later, they give him the real story of what happens, and it's clear that this isn't just like oh, the, the priests are telling us this thing. It's like a crisis happened. Like something went wrong on the journey and, and the entire ship is starting to like all the stuff they had built to like have this generation ship, it's all collapsing and falling apart. And when it collapses, that's when the turn to reaction happens. And that's when these like kind of really reactionary priestly class people come in and, and start. And I just, that that is a left-wing critique of what happens in crisis. And it, that's what's so fascinating about it. Yeah, coming from, from Heinlein, right? Is like when shit gets bad, that's when reactionary power comes in and, and does the thing. And anyway, rambling. But I yeah, just to re, re-articulate it, I also find this so fascinating that this is a Heinlein story. Yeah. No, yeah, it's that you're not rambling at all. I mean, this is all, this is all apt stuff. Um, something I do want to acknowledge is that this is like a, a, another iteration of, you know, these, these classic, you know, sort of parables. I don't know. If, I don't know if the, the allegory of the cave is exactly a parable. Maybe it's a little bit more complicated than that, but if, even if just looking at like mid-century science fiction, this is sort of um, this, this plot was just rehashed yeah. other times. There's um, something I think I brought up on the podcast once before, once or twice before is um, Harlan Ellison. You know, the great Harlan Ellison was involved in a, in a project 
uh, for, for a TV show called The Star Lost back in the 70s. And it is it is this exact plot. It's, it's about a ship that has been, that is uh, immensely, uh, that is immense in size. And it's been drifting in space for so long that the people have forgotten that they're on a ship. And it's it's this, it's, it's yeah. Highlands universe, which is also an iteration of, of things that came before it. So this basic concept, um, even specifically this concept set in space has been done before. Um, I'm not sure if, if Heinlein was the first to do it in like the science, the modern science fiction realm or not, but it was done, um, you know, for this TV thing in the seventies. And then something I read, it was like a, a, a further iteration of that. I think, you know, if, if you know anything about Harlan Ellison, he was a very litigious fellow. He was very, uh, very opinionated and proud of his work. And he would all, he would often like, distance himself from a project if he thought it was going in a direction that he didn't approve of. And so I think he kind of like um, left the, the TV show because he thought they were like watering down the message of it or, or blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. Uh, subsequently, he made a novel version of it with this guy, I think his name was Edward Bryant. And a, they turned it into a novel called Phoenix Without Ashes that I did read when I was like, you know, in my late teens or early 20s. And it's a great book. Uh, track it down out there. I, I still see it in secondhand shops uh, pretty often. So you can you can track down a you know a used paperback copy of it if you're so inclined. Um, I have to admit I've never seen that that 70s TV version of this. Um, I was really into 70s movies like dystopia sci-fi movies as a kid, but I find a lot of the TV stuff from that era doesn't really you know hold up super well. I'm thinking of like something like the original Battlestar Galactica or something yeah. like that. I, I even as a kid I just couldn't get into that kind of stuff. So I would suspect that I would probably feel the same way about this. Um, TV iteration called the star lost, or maybe it's just star lost. I think I actually stumbled across a few episodes and if I recall right, they actually used Douglas Trumbull, the famous like site, the, like the special effects guy who worked on 2001. Silent running too, right? Silent running. Yeah. Yeah. He, he like, they were using this early technique of like a video thing that they, it's really corny. It's really, it's not good, (laughs) Um, but it has that vibe, you know, you know, I mean, this is this is kind of a, a tangent but you think about all the work that goes into something like a project like that it's like oh yeah you know I yeah. spent six months of my life working whether as a writer or just someone like building sets or whatever it's like you yeah know, I contributed a chunk of my life to this thing that nobody really gives a shit about like yeah yeah a year later but anyway that's 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 you know neither here nor there um the basic concept of this though i think is uh it's it's something that is probably going to keep getting rehashed i mean uh, when i was 14 a little a little sci-fi blockbuster called the matrix came out and you know the the scene with morpheus explaining the nature of reality to neo you know when they're sitting in those that, those armchairs i mean that's basically the same as as this when the when the guy is saying oh you know look at look at you know i'm going to show you the stars which you've never even conceived of before it's it's the same idea and the same concept but it's such a brilliant concept and it's such a brilliant allegory um, for just people's consciousness in general that I yeah. see again and again and again in science fiction and fantasy. And yeah, just further proof that, I mean, science fiction and fantasy is the most exciting um, sort of field of literature in the modern era because it, it, it presents these sort of ideas to us in such an exciting way and such a um, just invigorating way that I think a lot of mainstream fiction just can't really touch. Totally. It's that like the epistemic break thing that I love. Like that's just the, that narrative is my, I just always am drawn to that. Right. Like the thing that changes, the unleash you know, changes everything. Right. Yeah. Um, the other aspect of it, I really like, you know, I, I love generation ship stories. I'm actually working with uh, Paul Niram from quietpolice.org who's doing actually a generation ship 
oh, uh, nice. uh, uh, series. Um, um, it's, it comes out two, three, eight, Matilda or something. Anyway, we'll uh, uh, post in the show notes, but um, it's very great. Um, but yeah, this narrative, in addition to the kind of the classic idea of false consciousness or the epistemic break, the other ver- thing I really love within the sort of generational ship gone awry narrative is this version that, that that thinks through it not just in something like false consciousness that can be used as a metaphor for today, but something like a project that has gone astray, like a a, 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 narr- a linear narrative, a, a, a social project, a collective project that has collapsed um, after the equivalent of something like a social collapse, you know, the Bronze Age collapse, the burning of the, Ale- the Library of Alexandria, I don't know, something like this, right? Um, and that's, that is in here too, and I find it so fascinating in the 50s, that, that this is something that comes out in the 50s, this idea of like, you know, this is right at the apex of America, American hegemony, we are the, you know, the, 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 the site of capital accumulation in the world. We have a national project insofar as our entire country is designed to have, you know, mainly white people, but, you know, 2.5 kids and you go and make the next generation of workers. And that's what we have to do after the war. That is a project. And yet here we get this weird narrative of like the project is falling apart. It's gone astray. There's actually a uh, Swedish poem that was turned into a sci-fi movie that's also this exact narrative um, called, I think it's, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, Aniara, A-N-I-A-R-A. Um, yeah, I think you brought that up in our discussion of um, uh, what, what's the other X minus one about like the reality all existing on a tabletop. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think it was a Frederick Pohl story. It was a Frederick Pohl. Yeah. Yeah. Tunnel under the world, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one. It's very and it's very similar. Annie R is a generational ship that like there are people leaving to go to Mars because of climate change. And then like something goes awry and the ship gets blown off course and they basically just drift. And the movies is like. A, a bit more dark and and bleak than than this version because this has this very kind of modernist hope of like even though it's a failed revolution there's this hope of like we're gonna you know we're gonna open up the 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 barrier separating man from I forget what he says at the end like this is your legacy or something like this this just like revolutionary language of like we'll free you and you see what's happening and in Aniara it's like it they all become a death cult and like start worshiping sex and like trying to to re you know start the next generation but they can't and um anyway I just I love this I I love this narrative and you're right it like keeps popping up in in science yeah. fiction uh, of, of the time but yeah anyway so we've done I believe only one x minus one as we just said the uh the poll story or maybe maybe a couple more but but regardless we actually haven't done a ton of these explicit genre sci-fi shows so I wonder if uh if you have some further thoughts on these you know dimension x and x minus one or oft regarded as at least in the 50s the this era of the kind of like adult science fiction you know adaptations of stuff that was in you know the literary mags or whatever um there are of course other ones uh what is it like 2000 plus um i really like exploring tomorrow the 15 minute one um yeah that was the one that was like from an early that was like from the was that the late 30s or sometime in the 40s i I, i think it was comparable to this i think it was 40s okay. 50s okay but um but regardless like these are often held up as like the gold standard of science fiction on the radio so i wonder if you have further for the thoughts on this because we haven't we've only really you know we we do weird fantasy with quiet please and then it feels like more often than not our uh our our 
forays into other other shows. Typically, I don't know, and this isn't intentional, but I feel like it typically has like a horror or, or dark fantasy lens, not explicitly hard science fiction like this. So yeah, I wonder if you have thoughts yeah. about sci-fi in, in OTR. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of just our podcast and what we're trying to do with this thing, I think maybe we should try to make more of a conscious effort to, you know, occasionally check out programs like this because as much as I like, you know, I always talk about shows like Mysterious Traveler, you know, being some of my favorite programs. Those I think are tend to be a lot more formulaic than the X minus one dimension X stuff. I think you get, a, um, for better or worse, you do tend to get kind of a wider range of, of stories on these 50s science fiction shows. And I guess sort of the the um, negative aspect of that is sometimes that that is you you get good and bad episodes as well. Like just right. in terms of quality, there's that there's there's also that range. Um, you get amazing, you know, very very uh, literate. Um, stories like this one. And then you kind of get goofy things that sort of border on like space Western. And, but I will say that, you know, the, the thing about dimension X and X minus one is that, um, yeah, uh, w- when you find a diamond in the rough, it tends to be, I think a lot more surprising and a lot more um, just sort of out there than, than, than like what you might get on some of the the mystery horror programs, because as much as I like those, yeah, you, you kind of know um, what you're getting into for the most part. The other thing I always really liked about these as a kid, um, the one that, and we'll have to do this eventually. It's 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 probably my top five ever of, of OTR yeah. OTR episodes, is the Nightfall from X minus one that was on the Walter Cronkite set. I always talk about right. Um, yeah. But but going back and then oh I got to hear more Dimension X X minus one digging through, it wasn't like a troop, but they had these recurring kind of series of actors that they would regularly use and these certain voices. Um, I'm sure, you know, the people who are spend more time researching OTR listening to this right now, like, I know exactly who you're talking about. Name them. Um, I don't, but like there, there are these voices that always will pop up in these, uh, uh, sci-fi radio shows that doesn't feel like it happens as much in a lot of the sort of just thriller horror, um, series. Right. Um, in horror, especially something like, you know, uh, they, they'd get a run of Boris Karloff or something. Okay. You got a mega star who's doing it. But these just kind of like the equivalent of like that guy watching an eighties movie. Hey, it's that guy, you know, just like a character actor, these voices. And I feel like the run of dimension X and X minus one is really sort of uh, uh, made more kind of lively and interesting. When I start to hear these voices that are in a lot of different episodes um, that I'm like, Oh, it's that guy. And and he's always in these like nightfall, especially has, these uh, uh, voices that keep popping up. I, I should have done more research to, to get these names. No, you know, I, I always tell myself the same thing, Matt. Like, I really should know. I should really do, like, more of deep dives into, like, the, the production staff and the actors and all that. But I just, you know, th- there are people who just, they know, like, who all the, the prevailing actors and stuff were, like, from, like, the 30s to the 60s on radio. And I just never, I just never um, really learned that stuff. I, I just, I'm never drawn to that, like, that aspect of it. I tend to kind of be more curious about like who the writers were. And right. Like, obviously we've, we've already talked about this, but like getting to the end of this and realizing it was based on a Heinlein story was like a, you know, kind of melted my mind a little bit. <laughs> um, but I don't know, I guess. Yeah. I, I, and to, to, to the long short of it is I can't really speak on that because I, you know, I just haven't done the research when it comes to that, um, that aspect of these. Obviously, when you hear someone like Paul Fries or William Conrad or someone on, on or Mercedes McCambridge on this or that show, it's like, oh, yeah, there she is again, you know. Um, but in general, I, I don't really know, like, what the uh, what the background history of, the, of these two shows um, was, because 
I've just never, never uh, pursued that knowledge. Yeah. I mean, just a, a sort of quick click through on otrdownloads.com, you know, cause you can typically look, they'll uh, 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 chart, you know, who is at least who is top build or, or something like this. Right. right. Um, I just clicked through and here we have in this episode, you know, the engineer uh, as played by Bill Chambers and all of his credits are just all these dimension X episodes mm -hmm. and these other classics I've heard, like Dr. Grimshaw's Sanitarium, classic, classic episode. Yeah, you mentioned that one. I don't know if you know this one. Um, but like a bunch of Ray Bradbury ones, Martian Chronicles, an adaptation oh. of the Martian Chronicles, Report on the Barnhouse Effect, a really great one about a... Yeah, that's a Vonnegut story. Oh, I didn't realize that's a Vonnegut story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but like like these names that I would imagine are um, kind of just contracted random actors uh that worked for you know i don't know if it was for the for the whatever the network was that were just like got known as being like the radio guys or something right yeah. um oh here we go santos ortega is one that's on x minus one a lot but he's he's on a bunch of bunch of other yeah he was on a he was on a i i recognize his name from being on a lot of mysterious travel inner sanctum mystery you know uh, uh, suspense yeah 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 um but anyway yeah that that I also take like what I find online when it comes to this information with a bit of a, a grain of salt, because a lot of times, you know, there was so much radio stuff being produced back then. I think a lot of that, that information, not all of it, and maybe not even most of it, but I think a lot of it was just lost to time. Like, right. I mean, I mean, look, just the fact that a lot of these, re these programs weren't stored and kept alive, um, that speaks to like what the priorities were of the, of the networks because they, they all, they all knew TV was on the horizon. And I think even a lot of the times, like the actors kind of forgot like what they were on. Cause they were just, they were working so much when radio was in its heyday. Right. And I, I know from trying to do like a bit of online research for quiet, please, like something that's always bothered me um, in a weird way. is like, uh, I think we've joked about this before. It's like how Ernest Chappell was able to retire in comfort, even though he only really, he's only really act. It's only acting work that, that we really know about was uh, Quiet Please and then those cigarette commercials. And so I've occasionally I'll go and try to find something online. And I've seen some of those OTR websites list him as being on different programs that I know he wasn't on. Because then I went and sought out those programs and it wasn't him. It's not him. Yeah. So sometimes I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm by no means an authority on this topic, but uh, sometimes I, I do think that sometimes you have to take what you read on those sites with a bit of a grain of salt when it comes to like what who it lists as being like in the. Right, right. So in the, the, in, in, yeah, just, I think, as you know, you know, the classic narrative of like, uh, they were just like, we're just going to throw these away. We're just going to air them once and throw them away. This is not like high art or anything like that. Right. Right. And then how do you, how do you, how do you track that? Yeah, exactly. Which is it sad because these are great. Th th these, you know, I mean, I don't need to say it. These, these are great series. There's yeah. so much fun and they're so thought provoking, even all these years and decades later. Um, something that occurs to me that we, we have talked about on the podcast before is how radio was kind of regarded as almost like a vulgar art, you know, and people didn't really necessarily give it the credit it deserved. But when you get an episode like this, when you get an episode like Universe, I think you realize that radio was capable of telling not just pulpy fun stories, but pulpy fun stories that occasionally could, you know, and sort of stimulate your uh, your thought, you know, processes yeah. and your, your consciousness and all that at the risk of sounding pretentious. Uh, something I wanted to come around to, I, I was I wanted to bring this up a minute ago, and I sort of lost my train of thought, was how impressive it is that they stick with the bleak ending here. Because this is yeah. not like, um, oh, yeah, let's put it, let's, you know, turn our swords into, into plowshares and, and, and just forget about our differences and, and be accepting. They, you know, it's a, it's a dramatic presentation of, of the old, the old, um, I guess this is a biblical 
uh, line, but the thing, where does the line, uh, there's none so blind as those who will not see come from? Is that mm. from the Bible? I, don't know. I actually don't know. But regardless, uh, I'm, not, I'm not usually the kind of guy to, to quote the Bible, but that's a, it's a great line. And uh, it's clearly what's on display here because these people, they don't want to understand things. They, they, they want to just accept reality as, as, it's, as right. it's always. No, that's a really good point. Like, and when someone tries to tell them like, hey, like we, we, we don't have to like live in fear and, and struggle with these uh, mutants on the upper levels. We're actually all just part of this thing that's cruising around aimlessly. We can just try to put some direction into what's, what's happening here so we don't just eventually drift into a sun or a comet or something. And they're like, nope, uh, we're just going to keep doing what, 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 what's been, been happening the last ah, couple of ah, Kill him, kill him, stop, stop. It has to end, it has to end. No, exactly. It's not just a failed revolution, which it is. But yeah, I, as you know, I think it's a good point that he show, he successfully shows everyone. He's like, look, yeah. Yeah, you can, there you it can is. Hear, like, you can hear him like after they've killed like the, you know, the sort of like intellectual leader of the mutants, uh, you can hear like, that the, the, the guy from the lower decks has pressed the button or pulled the lever or whatever that is, you know, going to show you the stars and they just reject it. Like they just, uh, they, they want, they, 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 don't, they don't want that bit of knowledge or perspective. It's, it's which, perfect. which, right. And it has to be that version of like, you know, if this is true, that would mean all of this stuff that we have is wrong. All of the rules and the order and we can't have that. We can't have that. We have to have the structure. We have to have this order. So just close it again and kill the guy. It's just it's not, no, 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 no. It's fine. I, I didn't exactly. see it. By, by not giving it like sort of a rosy ending, that that does make the message of this pretty timeless. Because I mean, you know, at the risk of being depressing, what what is the the sort of theme of humanity up until this point? It's people not putting two and two together and not realizing like, hey, we this we could have heaven on earth if we just, you know, really kind of applied ourselves and tried to put some order and structure into, into how we do things. We're like, nope, let's just keep fighting with each other over stupid bullshit and dividing ourselves over religion or just petty, you know, petty things that really don't matter. Um, and that's people, uh, people being like, oh, once the pandemic happened, like, well, maybe now people will understand Medicare for all. <laughs> nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's really easy to become, uh, you know, you know, I'll, I'll give an example. Um, when I was a kid, one of my heroes was, uh, uh, I was really into stand-up comedy and I really loved George Carlin. And something that kind of bothered me about him as a kid was how, as he got older, um, his sort of stage persona was increasingly all about like just being cynical and misanthropic. And I was like, no, there's hope. Don't you like be the, be the person you were like in the seventies, like, like be part of like that social upheaval sort of moment. And, you know, yeah, be, be the silly kind of funny clown on stage, but also kind of have that, that hope that things can be better. And, uh, I still think that we have to live our lives in accordance with the idea that things could be better, but I totally get getting older and realizing, no, yeah. this is going to keep replaying itself over and over. We're going to have these little historical blips on the radar where there, there seems like uh, things are getting better. People's, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're having that, you know, Morpheus Neo moment where we realized, oh no, this is what's happening here. Yeah. Uh, and, and occasionally we will have those moments, but then it's, uh, you know, what, what's the Hunter Thompson quote? Like the, it's just, the, the tide just recedes again. Yeah. Same crap. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Pretty, pretty gnarly that this was on the radio in the fifties. I know we always say that when, when something like this does that from that era, but you know, it's true. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy that this, this was on the air at the same time as, um, you know, all the other stuff, which, which to be sure we love, we, we, we love the, the crime shows and the detective shows and all that, but it's so amazing that the network's so, I mean, so the student tie guys had to know to some extent, like when, when dimension X put out an episode like this, like, Oh, there's those, there's those like, you know, kooky writers trying to put ideas into stories like yeah. you know, just tell a plot. 
just 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 read your screenwriting guides and uh, or, or, or um, radio screenwriting guides and just follow just get from point A to point B to point C and and wrap her up and yep. just why, why why can't a you know chemical formula turn a guy hundred feet tall just do that why can't yeah, we just yeah. do that? you know <laughs> yeah. you have to keep putting uh putting all these uh ideas into things That's, exactly nobody likes that. Um, but yeah, you know, we just have to keep repeating ourselves. It's, it's amazing that this came out in the time it did. And it, dare I say it, it holds up all these years later. Great episode. Also great performances. Um, we're running a bit yeah, long, so we yeah. should close. But I do want to say there, there's two versions of this. And this is another thing I really like about Dimension X and X-1 is they recycled a lot of scripts in between mm-hmm. each series. And, and it, there isn't a, a it, I have found I don't think there's a hard and fast rule about which one is typically better. Like, I don't think Dimension X or X minus one on the whole is better than the others. Um, Like the Nightfall, I think in X minus one, whichever one is in the Cronkite set, Mm -hmm. that's the best version of Nightfall. I think this is the best version of um, this, uh, uh, of universe, um, where the one in X minus one, the performances aren't quite there. And there's this weird thing at the beginning where, you know, when they go down and they meet the like prophet guy, he's very our 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 protagonist. Um, what's his name? Uh, 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 our protagonist is very um, he's curious, like he he's doubting and he's a little bit skeptical of the old priestly class, but he, but but he is kind of curious. And in the X minus one version, they play it off completely. It's like he's just from the get go already ready to like kill this guy. Which makes the the later transformation when he like has the moment of revelation, it makes so much more sense if he's like not sure what he wants, right? Yeah, it, it is interesting that when he has that initial interview with the guy, he seems to be completely dismissive of these, you know, um, like the, the the priest class ideas, and he seems to reject them. But then when he goes on the upper decks and like learns like that he's actually right. That it, they all they are just stories. He almost like reverts back to being a believer because it's like yeah, it's too, it's too much, too much, too fast. And he almost becomes like, um, you know, just of that mindset. Like, oh no, this is heresy. I can't even comprehend. I can't even entertain these thoughts that there might be something below the lowest deck or above the highest deck. You know, and he, it was he, easy when I thought that one guy was slightly off, but like, whole whoa, whoa, I can't yeah. undermine all of this. That would be yeah, yeah, exactly. I yeah, I agree. That's 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 a that's a very brilliant aspect of this and. I, I do also want to want to credit the acting because the end of this, I mean, like with the guys like, you know, dying monologue that that could be read as kind of didactic and silly, but I think the acting is so outstanding that it doesn't, at least for me, it doesn't come off that way. I think it comes off as really great that this guy's giving this, he's using his last breaths to just, you know, condemn the, uh, you know, the military guys around him. Who have just, yeah, totally. Yeah. Great episode. Well, uh, what's next in the tank? I think we're going to have to leave it up in the air because I, I, I want to take a bit of a break from Quiet Please for at least one or two more episodes and just uh, check out some of these other other programs. So, uh, well, you and I will figure that out in the meantime, and we'll be back with something other than Quiet Please in a week or so. I love it. Uh, as usual, uh, send us an email, thoughts, concerns, rate us on iTunes or I guess your <laughs> podcast app, whatever, whatever the app is. Yeah, like subscribe the usual get in touch uh, quietly yours podcast at gmail.com if you, if you have uh, criticism or praise whatever um, get in touch and, and until then quietly yours
So until next week at the same time, I'm quietly yours, Dennis Chapman. Dennis Chapman. Dennis Chapman.